Hello and welcome to today's episode of the No Wellness Wankery Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Today we have the author of a new and exciting book, The Neuroscience of Excellent Sleep, something we could all get a whole lot more of and better quality because I think it's 60% of Australians where we're struggling at the moment to get enough high quality sleep. Stan Rodsky is the person we want to speak to. He's a highly respected cognitive neuroscientist and an authority on improved brain performance in high stress situations. His current work involves a role as chief neuroscientist for the wellbeing organization Sonova, and he works across Australia and internationally developing innovative technologies and programs for individuals, peak performance sports teams, and commercial organizations. He is also the author of The Neuroscience of Mindfulness and more recently, the neuroscience of excellent sleep. Stan, thank you so much for coming on the No Wellness Wankery podcast. I am delighted to have you here. As am I. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, according to research, Australians and, and people around the world, we're just not getting enough sleep. We're not getting enough quality sleep. And your new book helps to try and give us a bit more of an idea of what we can do to help fix this. So I wanted to get an idea from you. What are, what are some of the surprising impacts of not getting enough quality sleep or not enough sleep in total? We often talk quantity and sometimes we talk quality um, and sometimes we, we, we miss all of them. But the reality is, the, the data, the science of it is that of the people who are listening to your podcasts right now, three to five of them, if we surveyed them with a nice little bit of research and said, how was your sleep last night? Three to five out of every 10 would say it was poor or below average, three to five. Now, putting aside the all of the problem issues of too much sleep or not enough sleep, the insomnia, the all of the big issues. This is just your every day. That's you and me going. And, and what was even more stunning in all of this research is that a quarter of those people who report poor or below average sleep also report that they do get the regulation number of hours, and we can talk about that in a moment, but still wake up feeling unenergized. And the effects of not having sleep are huge. I think we completely underestimate the importance of sleep. And there's a, a bit of, you know, people will say, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead and, you know, I'll catch up on sleep. Um, is, is sleep something we can really catch up on? What we need to understand is the sleep cycles that we have basically operate in 90-minute bundles. So if you think about the average sleep length, and I put in an average here, seven and a half hours. Um, and I do that because every brain is different. We're all different. You know, we can do with a little bit less, a little bit more. But basically, as humans, our brain is set up to fit in, um, if you like, these 90-minute cycles. And five 90-minute cycles fit into seven and a half hours. But we actually need six. But we live in a world in which, which five cycles or seven and a half hours seems to be about where we, where, where we operate in general reasonably well. And, and so this is the world of trying to understand that sleep is about these biorhythms, these circadian processes, which actually don't fit into our 24-hour clock. You know, who came up with 24 hours? 
Exactly. The the reality is our brain actually needs at least 25-hour days, even 26-hour days, because sleeping is so connected to so many of our metabolisms. Our need to sleep is, is, is a fundamental physiological one. It's not hapstance. It's not something some people can do for two or three hours. Aren't they wonderful? And others seem to sleep for 10 or 12 hours. <laughs> it's, it's simply not the case. Our, our, our brain is super connected to all of our biological functions and it needs that, that number of hours to actually clear out all the debris. Uh, just to clarify, it sounds like, you know, when we talk about how much sleep we should be having, we have this idea of the seven to eight hours, which is, I guess, a bit of a, a compromise. This is how much we we're, we could cope with. But are you saying that what we really need is, I guess, nine hours so that we could fit in those six cycles? And does it differ between men and women? And does sleep requirements change as we age? The issue for us is that, um, again, every brain is different. And, and the requirements um, for us in our world, in the way that we operate, in the way that we've learned, our brain has learned to cope with it, fits into this seven to eight hour cycle. You know, that, that's, that's where we fit. Um, and yes, we could do with more because it can only be better the more of those 90 minute cycles we can fit in. But that's not the nature of today. We're no longer cavemen and women. So, so we know that we're not getting enough quality sleep. We know that the impacts are quite huge. Um, as a nutritionist and dietitian, one of the impacts that I see is fundamentally, if we're not getting enough energy from sleep, our body is going to crave energy in any way that it can get that energy. It's a very primal, basic need. And so we're going to seek it out in food form or caffeine or other things in order to try and get that energy. So it's fundamental that you know, a lot of people blame their willpower and say, well, if I had more self-control, I wouldn't feel out of control with food. But actually getting your sleep sorted is such a key thing we need to be doing to ensure that we're getting enough energy. Yeah, no, look, the brain's busily um, um, uh, playing with two major hormones in here, ghrelin and leptin. Yeah, and, and ghrelin is, the, is in fact the one that signals the body to stop eating. Um, and the leptin, you know, sort of operates the other way. And these two are totally linked to sleep. You know, they, 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 they so uh, operate in this insulin world of energy, trying to make sure it's got enough energy in there, stored away, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's a very biological mechanism linked very closely to sleep. And then I think what we're doing is we're, we're fundamentally – you know, the way that diets have told us we, we don't eat enough during the day. We get, we, we know if we don't, I, I know when I was in my severe dieting years, it's very hard to fall asleep if you haven't had a decent meal as well. Can we talk about some tips that you, sh- you could share with us to sure. try and improve the quality or the quantity of our sleep? I'm all ears. Tell me whatever, whatever you can give me. Look, the, the core ones that um, certainly the science, of, and remember I'm talking here to to those people who are joining us in here, who are in the middle group, not the not the you know uh, um, at the ends of the spectrum in here with serious issues in sleep disorders, either over or under. I'm talking about the majority of us, and and there's probably five things that 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 I would see as the major major tips in this process, if you like, and some of them are so obvious. 
and some of them we need to work on. The first of them is actually creating the environment in which we can sleep best. You know, um, and we see a lot of that, don't we? You know, what, what's the bedroom like? What are the pillows like? What's the bed like? Watch the advertisers go um, about all of these things. Um, but the reality of it is the brain loves pattern. The brain loves schedule. So everything about these tips is all about patterns and schedules. Now, I've been a neuroscientist a long time, and I've got to say that if I knew 10% about the brain 40 years ago, I probably still only know 10% of it, but it's changed. <laughs> Bits and pieces about all of that have changed in the process. But the reality of it is that it is, a, it is um, spaghetti bolognese in white sauce, you know, busily chemical and electrical reactions going on in there. Um, but, it's, but its core feature is pattern and schedule. So if we think about sleep, one of the keys in inducing an environment is to have an environment which we, we actually, the brain associates with sleep. And we often don't do that. You know, we'll think, well, why aren't I? I'm so tired. Why aren't I asleep? Well, we've done nothing that the brain would associate with sleep. We're scrolling on our phones. We're watching TV. We're, our, our body thinks this is, uh, this is entertainment time, not sleep time. You know, the first thing, this environmental feature, that, this tip that I talk about is understand your hours. Just spend a few fractions of a second thinking about, well, if I go to bed at 11 and I get up at 7, okay, you know, I'm at least got started in the right way. And do we need yeah? to create a bit of a buffer time? Because, you know, that example, 11 to 7, eight hours, which means it gives us half an hour of wiggle room in case it's a little tricky to fall asleep or things Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. And, and, of course, generally in these discussions, people move me then into shift workers. Many of the people that I'm working to, talking to while I'm in, in this mode of um, talking about the book are shift workers. You know, they get up at four or three in the morning. Um, what do I do? And the answer, of course, is we do catch-ups, but very tiny. They're called naps. Remember them? <laughs> <I've heard> them. <laughs> um, and, and you being a new mum and about to be another mum, you know about naps, <laughs> yeah, because you try and fit them in between babies. But for the adults working in all sorts of environments, between two and four, but no longer than 30 mm -hmm. minutes. Okay. If it's any longer than that or more frequent than that, then you're going to disturb the bio. Okay, great. Can I clarify this? So two or four max, max a day and always less than half an hour. But Correct. is there a maximum, like do we want to at least get 10 minutes but less than half an hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, 10 minutes will give you a relax and relaxation is not sleep. Whole different brain process. So, so we're looking yeah? for that 20 to 30 minute kind of sleep. You, you, you absolutely, uh, yeah, ten, 10 minutes if, if you can instantly fall asleep. Um, but most people have problems napping, you know, because my answer there is nap if you need to. Yeah, don't, don't force yourself to nap. Force yourself to relax, which is good because all the bodily functions relax, but that's not sleep. That's not going into an unconscious state and engaging in the first part of our sleep cycle, which is so important. We get most of this energy of ours in that first 90 minutes. And in that first 90 minutes, we get a huge amount of benefit in the third, first 30 minutes. Oh, I'm 
<laughs> but you can't get away with just 30 minutes. As a new mum, a new, new mum, I am very grateful for this information. Can I take you back to this idea of the sleep environment? Um, so what you're saying is we want to create some kind of, there must be rhythms and patterns. Does that mean that beyond just trying to fall asleep at the same time and wake up at the same time, that we're also creating a similar sleep environment? So our pillow is the same, that the temperature is regulated and controlled. How much control and patterns are we seeking and are some more important than others? Look, again, as long as we can create a pattern, that's why it's problematic for us when we're travelling, you know, when, when we're in different spaces, because it's not that there's anything wrong with you, it's just that your brain has a set of cues which are not related to how tired you are because they're related to sending you into a deep cycle of deep sleeps what are called REMs and non-REMs, which are which are where we get locked, our whole body gets locked down and we do some dreaming and all of this junk that's in our brain gets cleared out so that we've got room for the energy for when we're conscious. But we but this process of schedule and with you know, with women and men who, who are looking after young children or babies, my goodness, you learn pretty quickly the value of a schedule. Mm. <laughs> my, you know, and and it becomes almost scary to break it. Mm. You know, you 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 forego things to break the schedules. I talk about that in the book a bit as well. So that was my number one tip: was the environment. the 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 second um, tip was really all, all around following the biological clock, and that's it. That's also involved with the scheduling. It's also involved with making sure the things that you do before you go to bed what you do before you go to bed and not at other For times. For example? But to fit in with our biological What clock. do you mean by that? Can you give us some examples? So, so again, um, uh, making sure that we're not eating before we go to bed, making sure we're not exercising before we go to bed, making sure we're not doing mental activities before we go to bed, making sure our, our partner doesn't say, did you pay the gas bill just as you're about to go off? Well, it's creating a truce with your partner um, or anyone in your life to say, all right, this is this is unwind, unwind time. And from this time, we don't talk logistics. We don't talk about who's doing what tomorrow. This is just quiet time. What are your thoughts about reading before bed? Because that can be stimulating or is that an acceptable analog activity? Look, I think reading is brilliant because, because particularly if it's part of your pattern and your routine. If you're reading a heavy-going manual of something that you need to memorise for tomorrow or you need to try and understand because you didn't understand it before, I would say no. Mm, yeah? Gotcha. And, 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 and by the way, I'd also say that in the, you know, the, there's always these big issues with sleep and the blue lights created by the the, the, the things that are in our room. Let me say you say to you that the science shows that that light is so, so little and unobtrusive. That's a nonsense. Mm. The issue is what's on the screen. Oh, I love this. Thank you for clarifying that because it's the stimulation from the constant doom scrolling or the, the shouty memes that we're watching, not the light. You know, the amount of light we need to get to actually, you know, to go out into daylight. You know, and that's the other thing is also waking up. The brain needs to learn when you want to wake up. People will often say to me, well, you know, I, I tossed and turned and then I, and then I couldn't get up. And, of course, the brain has already found a pattern, a, a procedure here. You know, you want to think about things, you want to churn them over, you want to stay tossing and turning, fine. 
but at the other end, I'm going to keep you asleep. And because you do it, it'll continue to do it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's part of its pattern process. And proteins are no good before we go to bed. Okay. So... Because they, they because they get your they get the neurons firing, they get the heat up in your body. Remember when you went to bed it was thirty seven point two. It needs to drop down to thirty six point seven uh, as part of that, you know, a point four, point five um, change through the night. If you're when you're busy thinking, not reading, which is just you know, but thinking, you know, you've got those neurons all connecting up in different ways, your body temperature stays mm. high. That's why you don't sleep. You may even think you're not thinking about anything and you're thinking, why am I tossing and turning? I'm not thinking about mm. anything. Well, well, the neurons simply have not relaxed enough to cause the body heat to drop. So typically as a nutritionist dietitian, we talk about carbohydrate-rich foods as something that, that do help us fall asleep. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah no, I absolutely agree. No, no. But having said that, um, no food you know, just before sleep <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, carbs obviously ha- ha- have a good effect. Carbs, yes, <laughs> um, a- a- and proteins, no. And no exercise and no, and obviously no smoking, no drink, you know, alcohol. These things turn the brain on when you don't want them to, causes, there, there's a million things, which I think most of us know about. Well, I will endorse that. I think a glass of milk is a fantastic thing to have. It's you know as a as a snack after dinner. I think fruit is that perfect thing to have when you're craving something a little bit sweet as well. Can I ask you? So the the five tips. I think we're up to number three now. What can you share with us for tip number three? Yeah, which was keeping your body temperature you. low. Yeah. So which was which which was number three. So so again, that's a. That's about the food intake and the exercise and thing and, and the obvious things that in terms of room, the externals, this whole process of um, you know getting our body to the right temperature is also where where baths are very inter- very good. A nice hot bath. The hot bath doesn't isn't actually the the thing that helps us there. It's when our body temperature drops afterwards. Mm. So, so having a hot bath isn't going to elevate your your body temperature. It will inevitably, or actually, end up leading it to come down. Yeah, which brings your whole body down, which is why you then sleep. Mm, I better. love that. I love I love a hot yeah. bath. So I'm a big fan of that one. My my tip number four is this link. See, every thought in our brain goes through our emotional controllers. So, so if you think of the brain as all of these neurons and hanging from them like like a like some sort of um, um, uh, enemy in the sea with all its long tendons going down, which are called dendrites, and they're all busily touching each other, you know, sending sparks along uh, of thought. But they're thoughts, and the thoughts in this sort of outer layer, as I call it, the spaghetti bolognese in white sauce three pounds of it, um, sends messages into the inner brain. So the thought is either turned into an action or it goes into our, into our learning, into, our, in, in, into a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And, and so at night, the brain's busily um, not wanting to do anything other than remove that from there, but it's all laced with emotions. So, so if we have thoughts that are still in our memory when we go to bed and we go, oh, I've got to write that email or I'm going to have to be confrontational or um, I'm going to have to do something. You know, 
the emotions, we need to write it down and forget about it. We need to put it here somewhere. We need to park things to help our brains mm, sleep. I love that. Park your thoughts. And what is, what is tip number five? And tip number five is be realistic. I'm banging on about seven and a half hours as that sort of magical spot there. Um, and you might be at six hours and think you're pretty good and Churchill was able to di- live with two hours and, I, you know, all of that. But the reality is wherever you're at, you could wake up more often, more refreshed. And if, and if, um, if you try to do some of these things, be realistic with yourself. Don't create another emotional controller in all of this which says, oh, my goodness, you know, that, that Dr. Rodsky said I should be getting this number of hours and that's the end of it. Um, no, be re- what I'm saying is be realistic with yourself. Try and say to yourself, well, I could do better a bit more often. Mm. So let's not add another, yet another crushing item to our to-do list where we feel no. the weight of perfectionism. What you're saying is pick something you can do out of these tips that's going to try and improve your sleep. And then at the, at the end of the day, just make small little gradual steps towards better sleep and don't put too much pressure on yourself because that does not help you fall asleep funnily enough. <laughs> exactly. Because we put too much pressure on ourselves all of the time. And I would urge everyone listening to please go and check out Dr. Stan Rodsky's new book, The Neuroscience of Excellent Sleep, because we could all do with a little more excellent sleep. Thank you so much, Dr. Stan, for coming on today's podcast. Well, thank you for having me and um, happy reading and better sleep. Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk or reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.